Hello, and welcome to the Creative Arts Business, the show all about the business of working in the arts and entertainment industry in San Fernando Valley. The Creative Arts Business is a show where you can't have the show without the business, and I'm your host, Brian Metcalf, and this is a final episode of my show. So my guest host today, to close it off, is Thomas Ian Nicholas. He is a known actor and musician, and he's been in films such as American Pie and all the other franchise sequels to it, Rookie of the Year, Rules of Attraction, and television series such as Party of Five and Red Band Society. In addition, he has his own band where he performs live music. Tom, thank you very much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Glad to be here. So when did you know you wanted to work as an actor? Uh, well, I started acting um, a long, long time ago when I was a little kid. Uh, I was six years old. Um, so not to age myself, but that was 1986. Some of you listening probably weren't even born then. Um, but that's cool. I was still there. Uh, I got my, uh, my introduction doing some background work on some small independent movies. So that's how I decided at the age of six that I wanted to pursue an acting career. Great. And uh, how did you get started in this field specifically? Uh, well, my mom was uh, working as a casting director for an atmosphere uh, for a company for atmosphere, which is all the background players and background artists of films. So she was in charge of, uh, quote unquote, wrangling them on set. Um, and then she herself would sometimes play some of the featured roles and cast herself. So the, uh, the, the introduction to it was on a Sunday evening. She got a call at about 10 p.m. from her boss that the film the next day needed an altar boy, 6 a.m. call. So who's she going to hire? But I happened to be you know, five, five years old at the time. Um, so she woke me up that morning before school started and said, you're coming to work with mom. And so that was my introduction was just right into the, uh, into the fire, as it were, as an altar boy in some Jan Michael Vincent movie called Hit List. Um, and so, yeah, so I decided at that point that I really enjoyed it and pursued it by getting an agent. Um, and oddly enough, uh, there was another film that my mom worked on where she was casting or wrangling atmosphere for a movie called uh, Nightlife that was starring Scott Grimes. And Scott Grimes' mom was an agent, um, and she was at, uh, like, Harvey Grimes was the agency, but she introduced us to my first agent, Natalie Rawson. And which the reason why I bring that up, because it's a lot of details, is that cut to 30 years later, uh, I was able to hire Scott Grimes in a film that I produced called The Lost Tree, which is doing the festival circuit right now. Oh, interesting. Uh, what festival circuits are that... Is that? Uh, well, we're going to be having our, um, uh, we're going to be part of the Riverside International Film Festival, um, and the film will be screening on April, Saturday, April 29th, the sort of closing day of the festival, so we're one of the last movies um, preceding the awards ceremony, so um, that will be a, a fun one. Uh, I know that there's discounts for college students, so the admission, I think, is General admission is $8, and for college kids, it's only 5 um, I think our showing is at 5.30 p.m., so if anyone listening to this broadcast or uh, you know, listening after we've recorded it, Saturday, April 29th, come and join us. It'll be a, a sold-out show. Well, what's this movie about? Uh, the Lost Tree is a drama thriller, um, which is, centers around uh, the character of Noah, which is the, the part that I play. 
Uh, and Noah, after losing his wife in a tragic accident, goes out to a cabin in the middle of nowhere to sort of uh, get away from it all and reset his brain and kind of get over the loss of his wife. And uh, soon after he's there, he discovers the dangerous surroundings in the area, um, which all seems to be centered on this one tree. Uh, henceforth, the title, The Lost Tree. But don't worry, he finds it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So how did you get involved with this production, and how how does it you became a producer and did all this stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, not to not to digress into you know thirty years of my career, but um, I've definitely I think my first time of delving behind the camera or going behind the camera uh, was in the early two thousands. I produced, directed, starred, and wrote a feature film called LADJ the movie. I was about twenty two at the time. And uh, I met this guy named Brian Metcalf. Wow. Um, who uh, who's now become Brian A. Metcalf? Totally different person now. But uh, we hired Brian um, on the film to to help us with some visual effects because Brian knew my brother, uh, who also produced the film and started the film with me. And so I think it was like five years later, Brian and I worked together on a film called Fading of the Cries um, that we produced together, and Brian directed and wrote. And, you know, we it was years later, Lionsgate called and said, what are you doing next? Um, and so Brian uh, invited me to be a part of The Lost Tree. Brian, meaning you. <laughs> <laughs> you invited me to be a part of The Lost Tree. And, uh, yeah, and, and since that time, we've, uh, we've produced a couple of other uh, projects together. And we have many more in our future, I, I hope. Wow. What else uh, What else are you working on besides Lost Tree? Uh, well, our follow-up project to The Lost Tree is a found footage vampire movie entitled Living Among Us, which uh, I also produced and starred in. Um, we also have William Sadler, John Hurd, James Russo as Mabianco from Game of Thrones, my, uh, my high school friend Andrew Keegan. Uh, and, um, yeah, that film is just now getting finished. It's in post-production um, doing sound design. So hopefully that one will be, uh, will be out soon or doing the festival circuit next. I was going to say with The Lost Tree as well, um, I mentioned the festival circuit. After the Riverside International Film Festival, we, we don't have our screening date yet. We find out tomorrow. Uh, we've been invited to screen at the IFS Los Angeles uh, Film Festival, which is the – what does it stand for, Brian? Uh, in, Independent Filmmakers Showcase. Yes. Right. Exactly. Wow. And I hear there's a rumor that on on the 30th of April, they're having a sneak preview trailer of Living Among Us at Raleigh Studios for this horror type uh, panel featuring some other directors. And I understand that it got invited to show a trailer for there. I can't confirm or deny that. But uh, but it's I can. probably true. I can confirm that. <laughs> I have to. I'll have to speak to Brian Metcalf about that. Oh wait. Oh wait. Yeah. Brian, is that true? That's true. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> this is the most awkward interview probably in the world. But okay. Well, the the issue is that Brian and I have been uh, working together. Uh, not the issue, but the uh, we've been working together since sometimes 2000. the issue. <laughs> the issue. Yeah. Sometimes since two thousand and two. So you know we're talking about like a decade and a half of history between us. So. Our interview could could very much uh, just rail go off the rails at any point. We could be talking about anything. What the hell does Brian see in you to keep working with you? Uh, you know, this Brian, this is my interview. You're not allowed <laughs> to ask yourself questions, or maybe I should ask you the question. Um, I don't know. I mean, Brian and I uh, have definitely developed 
You you and I have definitely developed a uh, a shorthand. I keep speaking of you in the third person. <laughs> I don't know why. That's weird. That's fine. Uh, no, I think we've developed a, a shorthand in working together where, um, not to say like we complete each other's thoughts, but I think we we communicate in a in shorthand. Um, so I kind of understand what it is that you need, um, you know, in a scene, whether it's you know from the the performance point of view or as your producing partner. Um, at least that's the way that I see it. Hopefully you feel the same way. I think Brian does feel that way. <laughs> but we'd have to ask him. But the interview is about you. So what is it like um, coming on set and having to both produce and act in a film? Um, I would say that the, the most interesting aspect of wearing more than one hat on a production is just not having any downtime. Um, as an actor, which I just got back from doing a, a sci-fi movie called Trailer Park Shark, which will be airing at the end of July on Sci-Fi during their... See, Discovery Channel has Shark Week. Sci-Fi Channel has Sharknado Week. So when they air the first four and then followed by the new fifth installment of Sharknado, Trailer Park Shark will fall somewhere in there. Um, and so when I was doing that film, you know, even though I was playing one of the lead, the lead role, um, I had a lot of time where you know I was in between shots or in between setups um, and just kind of chilling out in my trailer. When I'm wearing two hats on a production, there is no downtime, no chill time in the trailer of, uh, of me kind of just relaxing. It's, you know, as soon as the scene or the take is or the setup is done, then I got to wear my producing hat and make sure everything is is moving along. And what do you do if if an actor is giving you trouble or someone else in another department is and you're about to go on and shoot in a little bit? I mean, how do you try to separate that and focus on your character? And I've never had any actors give me any trouble on any sets. What do you mean? <laughs> That's so ridiculous. I mean, what do actors have egos? They don't have a bigger ego than mine. That's how I deal with it. I have the biggest ego when I'm the producer and the star. No. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I mean, as an actor, my, my gig is portraying, um, you know, people other than myself. So I'm definitely, I think that's given me the ability to compartmentalize uh, my life on set. So in that instance, you know, um, if I have to, I have to compartmentalize. I have to, you know, let go of whatever issue I'm dealing with as a producer and focus on the scene. I mean, the thing is, is that when you're shooting, you're really only shooting for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes before the setup changes. So, you know, you just need about 30 minutes, 5 to 30 minutes, and then you can go back and, and deal with the issue at hand as a producer. Great. And uh, what other projects do you have coming up? I understand you have a TV series that you're in works on. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, our, our company um, is called Red Compass Media, hmm. um, which you know that, but maybe you don't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and we have a TV pilot called Strange Ones. Uh, that's a little bit of a, of a more difficult concept to explain. I guess the easiest way is to say in that one I play the the anti-hero, um, which is a, uh, a not really a, a real person, but a demon rather that is um, sort of unleashed and attached to our main character. Uh, I don't know how do you. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't have the the log line on this one. We're still in post production on that one, and as soon as I see it cut together, I'll be able to explain it uh, a little bit more succinctly. It seems that you're always playing a different role entirely different from the other character from Lost Tree to Living Among Us to to Strange Ones. 
Is that something that you like to do is just have just a variety and not play the same character a lot of times? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, my goal as an actor is to be a leading character actor, um, which there aren't that many, I would say. So um, it's kind of exciting for me to, to forge into that ground. Um, and I look up to people like Gary Oldman, who I think does that, you know, uh, rather well. Um, he's probably one of the best because there are certain roles where he's just unrecognizable and you know you have to almost look at his resume to know what Gary Oldman did and one thing is Gary uh, seemingly never chooses a bad movie or he's always great even if the movie's not that's great and there's a rumor going around that uh, Michael Goy from American Horror Story has wanted to come on board and direct some episodes as well for Strange Ones coming up yeah I mean uh, Michael Goy and I worked on a film in um in Arizona, I think it I think it was Arizona. It must be uh, in 2005, and so uh, you know he's been threatening to work with me again for years, and I might just get to take him up on that uh, on Strange Ones, which would be I think a valuable asset to the production. Fantastic, fantastic. And so let's go backwards a little bit here, and let's talk about your training. What what did you do to train to become the actor that you are today? Um. I uh, well, as I mentioned, I started acting when I was six, and my first agent um, felt that it was important for all of her clients to take acting classes. So I started studying at the time with a an acting studio that's now changed owners and names, but at the time it was called Center Stage LA, and the main coach was Kevin McDermott. Um, and I studied there for ten years, and it was definitely uh, a Stanislavski-based um, acting studio. But Kevin also, you know, he had probably more patience than any person I've ever met. He used to teach uh, acting to mentally challenged kids uh, for 10 years prior to starting Center Stage LA. Um, So his patience level was beyond that of any. No one could really get to him, (laughs) Uh, even though we all, you know, threatened to be mentally challenged ourselves. Um, But, uh, you know. I think um, you know my, my, my focus on that and what Kevin did was he helped us all develop our own techniques. And techniques are important in any work um, because you have to know you have to know how to use the tools for the job. And a lot of people think that just you know acting is just something you just kind of plug and play, but it's really not because you never know when you're going to need to rely on these tools because being in the moment is not something that just comes naturally. It's by design. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just go pick up a guitar and play a concert if you've never played a guitar before. And I think acting is kind of the same, the same way. Um, and, you know, we had some amazing people in those, in those classes. I studied alongside, um, I mean, I, I did, there was about four semesters, four to six semesters every year, um, or four to six week sessions, and then take a couple weeks off. But I did that solidly for 10 years. And I, I made it into the master class uh, I was probably like one of the youngest. It was like me and Joseph Gordon-Levitt were the two young kids in the master class. Everyone was like five years older than us. Wow. But we were pretty serious about you know our craft. That's fantastic. And what would you say your first big break was? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess my first big break uh, probably was Rookie of the Year. Um, I mean, I'd done jobs before that, obviously. I, you know, my first job was on Who's the Boss playing a young Tony Danza. And, you know, I had uh, a job on Radio Flyer, even though most of my uh, 
my role ended up on the cutting room floor. I was in good company next to Rio Perlman. Um, but yeah, Rookie of the Year was my first super successful film where I was the lead role. Um, you know, it, it was a box office, um, you know, success. It made like $54 million in the box office in 1993. And, you know, that, that kind of put me on the map in a way. It was also difficult because I was a kid. So, you know, as a kid, you, you change. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that what kept me and what kept my career going as a young adult was definitely the American Pie franchise, or at least the first American Pie for sure. So taking a step back, how did you get that role for, um, for Rookie of the Year? And then how did you land the role for American Pie? Uh, I mean, the audition process is, you know, it's a little bit different nowadays. So I feel like for a while I would explain this process and it made sense. And now it's like the days of yore uh, because there are there are, are seemingly less opportunities uh, than there was at the time that I that I started. But my experience at the time was going on auditions and I would do anywhere from 100 to 250 auditions every year just to land one or two or maybe three jobs if I was lucky. So I definitely have a pretty thick skin. I've heard the word no a lot and still kept, uh, you know, going forward. Rookie of the Year was an interesting one because they auditioned kids in L.A., Chicago, and New York. So they saw about 5,000 actors for the role of Henry wow. Baumgartner. And it was getting to the point where Daniel Stern, uh, who's in the film, who also directed it, was getting ready to cast his own son, who ironically is named Henry. Uh, <laughs> and now I think is like a... Uh, I think like a state senator or something. He just got a, he's an elected official. He just ran for office and was elected um, in like some count. Maybe like I count. I, I don't know exactly. I'd have to look at my Instagram <laughs> <laughs> to see Dan, Danny's feed and what would where his son uh, got elected. But um, he was going to hire his son. And from my experience, I uh, auditioned for it and I didn't get a call back. And I was in the process of switching agencies. And my new agent called and said, we have an appointment for you for Rookie of the Year. And I said, you know, oh, I've, I've already auditioned for that. And she goes, well, they obviously don't remember you, so go again. <laughs> so I went again, and then I got a call back, and then I read with, with Daniel Stern, and then I got the job. Just going to show that, you know. Persistence. Persistence and, and perseverance and luck kind of all play a role in, you know, landing any job. That's amazing. So you also now do music as well. And uh, tell us a little bit about your music career. Yeah. Um, my uh, I, Well, I guess I started playing guitar when I was about 14, um, but I really, really dug it, and it was a nice creative outlet for me. Um, in the beginning, it started just being a way for me to express my thoughts and ideas, considering that as an actor – um, you know, I was expressing the thoughts and ideas of the writer and following the direction from the director and, you know, uh, delivering a character that was outside of myself and, and, you know, speaking lines that were given to me. So music was my lyrics and, and my story. And um, it became such, just such a big part of that. And there's so much waiting that happens in between work, like I said, going on 100, 250 job interviews or auditions every year and landing one or two jobs or three, you're only really working two to six months out of the year. So that's a lot of downtime. And I think that music for me as that creative outlet um, 
save me from some of the the pitfalls that I think my peers, you know, went through. Because um, a lot of people look at kid actors and they they see how many problems they have and they kind of you know go off the rails or you know wind up with you know drug addiction or things because that downtime sucks. <laughs> so basically, you're saying the music kind of saved your life. In a yeah, way. you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I, kind of saved me from drugs <laughs> and yeah so I didn't do a lot of drugs uh but you know now I'm married and I have two kids so uh you know um yeah anyway I digress but I I really I I've since that time I've released six or five original albums um and I've toured I've played over 500 shows with my band around the world um and I've just released my sixth album, which is called Frat Party, which is, um, it is for the fans. And it's kind of a crossover of my two careers. What, what I've done is I've, I've picked all of my favorite songs from the American Pie soundtracks. And American Pie is synonymous with pop punk. So we've got a lot of pop punk on there. And we chose uh, bands like uh, Foo Fighters and Sum 41 and Blink-182, uh, Lit. And we've uh, done our renditions of those, uh, as well as I had a song called My Generation that was on the soundtrack of American Reunion. So we we covered ourselves as well. That's great. <laughs> and is it different than your other version of My Generation? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you cover yourself, you sound like yourself. Uh, we didn't want to change it up, um, you know, based upon that. We really just wanted to make all the other songs kind of our own. And uh, it's... Right now, I've, I feel like there's a big resurgence to the 90s and people are being really, you know, are, are super nostalgic to that era. And so this uh, this tour and this set list is like a super nostalgia set. And I've, I've heard some of your music. It's really good. So Thank you. So where can the f- people who are listening now, where can they get your music? Where can they hear it? Where can they listen to it? What do they need to look up on YouTube? Uh, I mean, you could pretty much just go to, you know, the platform of your choice. If you're a Spotify user, all the stuff's on Spotify. If you're, What do we look up? Thomas E. Nicholas? Do uh, we look up? You look up Thomas Nicholas Band. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the uh, that's that's a point of contention, actually, because when I started doing the, the music, I released it under Thomas Ian Nicholas. And so on iTunes, there's kind of like two different search catapults and same with Spotify. So you can still find music if you go to Thomas Ian Nicholas. You just only find the first album or two. And then, you know, if you want the more recent stuff, you have to search Thomas Nicholas Band. But we're on iTunes, so if you're on Apple Music or if you like YouTube, we got music videos. If, you know, you're on Rhapsody. <laughs> you're everywhere. <laughs> or eMusic. Yeah. We're, you name your platform, Pandora. We're there. So do you, when you're doing this type of stuff, do you? how do you promote yourself? Do you use social media a lot? What what ways do you promote yourself? Do you have a... a, a publicist tell us about this um yeah i'm i'm on all of the uh the social media platforms and um it really is you on your facebook then yeah it's really me on my facebook and instagram and twitter uh my name is too long (laughs) for for handles um so it becomes i've found that people have been saying it's a little hard to find me on those but my handle for them is tin band t-i-n band um, why? I don't know. Cause it's a good acronym for my name and for the band, even though the band doesn't have Ian, I just really want to confuse people and make it difficult to find me. Uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But, uh, yeah, I run all the, my social platforms and I have been since, since they were created, uh, and before it was cool too. 
Because it, it seems like when it when social media started, especially actors would hire someone to run their social media for them. Uh, and now it's kind of like, you know, I don't know, people kind of see through the BS. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, sort of expected that everyone runs it themselves. So, so I always have and I always will. And do you think that uh, doing the social media aspect of it, has that brought you a lot more fans out there and made more awareness? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, yes and no. I've definitely, uh, I've done a lot of a lot of good things through social media, gotten a lot of gigs out of it, and uh, connected with a lot of people. Um, I feel like social media is a great tool, and also there's a lot of it out there. So there's a lot of noise. Great. Um, but you know, I'm there if you want to. Uh, if you want to drop me a line, I will answer. <laughs> and what happens, uh, or what would you say to yourself if you could go back to yourself t- 20 years ago and give yourself advice? Um, man, 20 years ago, so I would have been uh, 16. Um, what advice would I give myself as a 16 year old? I think. The main advice that I, I would have given myself is um, to to start wearing multiple hats and have multiple focus. But I think that that's, that's just me talking to myself. Uh, it was a different time in 1996. Mm-hmm. In 96, you could, and in the 90s, you could focus on one job and, and sort of see it through from beginning to finish. I think that that mean that advice doesn't necessarily mean anything for for anyone growing up now because we're all kind of like multifaceted and 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 focusing on two or three things at once. Um I think that's definitely more common now than it was then. So it's almost like you have to have these multiple skills in order to survive in this business nowadays. Yeah, and I'm and then that's what I'm saying is that I think that, you know, anyone who's 16 now already has that aspect. They already have multiple skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 96, if you had put a phone in my hand while I was watching a TV show, I would have turned off the TV to focus on the phone or turned off the phone to focus on the television. And now that's just not the case because <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you know, everyone's doing two things at once. Yeah. So it seems. And what would you say to aspiring musicians and actors out there who see what you're doing and say, I want to do what Tom's doing? What would you say to them? Well, I think, you know, the the general rule of thumb, which I've I've given this advice since before it was even so readily available and so apparent now, um, is just to start doing it. You don't have to wait for anyone to give you the opportunity. You can create your own opportunity. Um, and, and while that seems like a pretty blasé sentence, I really do mean that. I, I mean that in the sense that if you're out there and you want to pursue an acting career, Chances are, if you ask enough people, if you tell them your aspirations, you can find like-minded individuals. You'll find people that want to be cinematographers. You'll find people that are writers or that want to be directors. And then you can create your own community of making you know, uh, a film or a short film or filming an idea and uploading it to YouTube. So there's no excuse right now for anyone not to be able to film something or make their own shorts, especially with cameras and phones these days. Well, and, and that's that's sort of the, the thing is that the idea is if you do that, and the same goes for music, you know, writing music and just recording it, you know, in a live mode or on your phone and uploading it. 
if you don't appreciate the journey of even doing that or doing it for the sake of the art itself, and you, you're only really looking at like the results of that, which is the fame and fortune, then you don't really like doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because the fame and fortune that comes or the success or the failure or any of the results of art is not, it doesn't last that long. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I mean, it, it does and it doesn't, but it's not, it's not the end all be all. The art itself and the, and the journey is, is the greatest part of it. So if you do it just for the sake of that and you love it, then you'll love it when you pursue it as your actual career or when an opportunity presents itself. Because someone could see what you're doing and creating and give you an opportunity that you wanted all along. Great. And uh, again, what uh, on the newest projects that you have, you said uh, this film, The Lost Tree, is going to be out in some film festivals coming up Riverside and in Los Angeles IFS. Yeah, Riverside is uh, Saturday, April 29th uh, in Riverside, the Riverside International Film Festival. And then uh, there are tickets available for pre-purchase on the Riverside International Film Festival website. And then it will also be airing sometime between May 3rd and May 14th. Uh, I will be posting on my social media the actual screening date for The Lost Tree at IFS once we get that. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. And where can we find your work at? I mean, we already talked about where we can find your music at, but uh, do you have a main website that we can go to, like thomasiannicholas.com? Uh, yeah, I mean, thomasiannicholas.com is is my main domain. Uh, Red Compass Media is my production company. Um, you know, I mean, if you Google's great. You can search Google and you'll find <laughs> you'll find anything as long as you know the keywords. So, um, you know. And if you are on Netflix, you can watch Walt Before Mickey that just came out. Um, what do you play in that? I play Walt Disney himself. Oh, wow. That's um, great. And I, I mentioned that, too, just we're talking about pursuing, you know, uh, you, you know, young people pursuing their aspirations of acting or music. Uh, that's a really inspiring film because it shows Walt Disney failing miserably <laughs> before he succeeded to probably the most well-known name <laughs> in the universe. Well, thank you very much for the time, for being here. And uh, you've been listening to The Creative Arts Business. I'm Brian Metcalf for kpcradio.com, signing off on my final show. Cool. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thank you for being here.